This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Okay, I got something great for you this morning. Um, I'm very excited about it because we are putting things in the nest. We started a couple of weeks ago being a, looking and exploring how God created us to be and why he created us that way. And it's important for us because when we begin to get a definition and an understanding as to how he created us to be, then all of a sudden when we start to put some of his scripture into that, it begins to make sense and we're able to synthesize and process it through that filter and we begin to recognize what parts of my being are coming into play at different points and what their, their role and what their contribution is. And so it's really it's it's i found it quite helpful anyway so there's there's me and rafa did too um and so i'm excited about today because um i'm going to do a two-part thing and so you you can be very happy because today you got here for the problem (laughs) so i'm going to give you the problem and so it can guarantee that you have to come back next week because you're not going to get the solution till next week so but it's a good thing it's i think what's been helpful for me is to understand some of the stuff because it's begun to paint a picture for me as to why it is that very often we struggle to walk into the things of god And there are so many promises and there's so much that God has made available to us. But in many ways, although we're aware of it and although we can speak about it and although there might be an awareness of it, the challenge with it is there is a disconnect between that and being able to walk into it in a meaningful way. That's very much what I want to address. So we, we're, getting, we, we're getting into problem today. I want to speak in the next two weeks something I've titled about the enemy within. The enemy within. Won't you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6? And I'm going to read from verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to pull a rougher on you. Say, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Who is in you? Whom you have from God. And you are not your own. Now, there's a revelation in and of itself. For you, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, period. The rest of that sentence is not there in the original Greek. And in your spirit, which are God's, that's not there in the original Greek. The original Greek is, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, period. So the, 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 what I want you to take out from this, this is a few things. Number one, your body belongs to God because it's been bought at a price. Secondly, what I want you to take out from this is the fact that God has a purpose for your body. Your body was intended to glorify God. Your body is intended to glorify God. I don't know about you, but I don't always glorify God in my body. I know none of you ever go down that avenue, but somehow regularly every single day, I seem to discover areas of who I am that don't glorify God. I want to just set the platform once again before we get into things, because I know it sounds a little bit as though I'm being repetitious, but it's important because I want you to really get this. This is fundamental. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God talks about creation. Um, in John 4, verse 24, it tells us God is a spirit. For lack of a better term, it's talking about his being. It's talking about who he is. It's talking about who God is as an entity. It's saying God is spirit uh, as a being. But the, in- the important thing about God as a being is this, is when we have a look at God as a being, God has a heart to who he is, which has a capacity to do those things, which traditionally we've related to the abilities of the soul. God is a creative being. God, creation gives evidence to it. God has the ability to process stuff. God has an identity in terms of who he is. There are judgment calls that God makes in terms of this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is evil. God has inputs into people's lives. God feels things. God responds in a relational way to who we are. All of those things are capacities and capabilities that God has. And although he doesn't have what we would term a brain, he has the ability to do those things. 
It's very important because I want you to see that God as an entity is spirit in nature, but at the heart of who he is, he has an identity that is defined by those capacities. Because when he begins to come to a place where he says, let us, who's he speaking to? That's another story. But the point is, he says, Let's, let us make man. And so what does he do? He takes the dust of the earth and he creates out of matter something called body. He creates man of the dust of the earth. When he speaks about body, understand that he's talking about things and everything that constitutes your being that is material in nature. Anything that has cells to it, anything that has tissue to it, anything that exists in that capacity, is consti he constitutes as being body. And that includes your brain. Amen. So he created man of the dust of the earth, but man was lying there lifeless. Body and brain, all one. So God took of who he was, spirit in nature with capacity to be able to do all of those things. And he breathed into man's nostrils, the breath of life. And it says, and man became a living soul. Spirit with all of its capacities and its capability. Breathed into dust put life into that space. And when it put into that space, what ended up happening is it created something called a living soul. Spirit within body becomes a living soul. When spirit leaves body at some point, dust will go back to dust. And all of a sudden soul, living soul becomes spirit. Spirit goes off to God. Body stays behind. We all okay. Okay, so remember, part of what God is, for lack of a better term, is mind. It's all those capacities and those capabilities. Body is put into man and it's created of dust. And the reason that he's given it to us is because he created a realm in which we are to live. The natural realm. Your brain has the capacity to engage the natural realm. He put it in there for a reason. Because as a living soul, you straddle two divides. You straddle two realms. I'm part spirit and I'm part natural. But holistically, all of those things constitute me as a living soul. It's important because we cannot divorce ourselves from our body. Somehow in teaching, we've got this idea that I might be a spirit being and when I have the life of God dwelling on the inside of me, I'm a new creation in Christ and my mind, that which is spirit, can be made new so that it begins to identify and takes on the nature and the thoughts and the mind of Christ. But those things are good and whole and holy, but body is bad. But it's unscriptural. Yeah. Your body is not bad. God never created anything that was bad. What's ended up over time is that your body has become the canvas on which sin begins to manifest itself. It's not your body that's bad. It's the sin in your body that's bad. The thing with it is we cannot divorce ourselves from our body because everybody else looks at our body and they say, that's you. <laughs> Nobody says you can behave any way you like, but that's okay because that's not him. The real him is behind there. Go to school and behave and throw a temper tantrum and see if your teacher goes, that's okay. That's, not, that's just body. That's not him. <laughs> there is an accountability and there is a responsibility that goes with our body. What God is saying to us is your body doesn't belong to you. What I'm doing is I'm on a mission and I'm on a mission not only to make sure that you spirit and mind become of his nature, but my intention is that your body becomes of his nature as well. We cannot separate our body from how we live. If you do something that's wrong and you go out and you get caught because you're stealing, even the law recognizes who you are is body. You will end up with what they call a mugshot. What it's saying is body did something that is not right. And body, because of that, is going to end up behind bars. 
They take the fingerprints of body. Our body is really important. Our body is so fundamental to who we are. And when God speaks about us in the capacity of being a living soul, he's talking about the ability of who we are fundamentally as a person to be able to embrace his nature in terms of our spirit, in terms of our mind, in terms of our body, our brain, the governing body, uh, the governing entity over our body. And for all of those things to be conformed to his image. Holistically, that's what he's looking for. Why is it so important? Because the gateway to the natural is the body. You don't get to become born again and have the life of God and have a mind renewed and have all of those things in, in single file and have those things renewed to the things of God and not have the ability to be able to introduce them to the world that you live in. The gateway for you to take those things of mind and spirit and introduce them to your world is through your body. Our body is important to us. Our body is fundamental. Our body is crucial to be able to take those things and to be able to use our feet and use our hands and use our mouth. Why did God give us those things? Because when he created us, he created us to live in both realms effectively. To live in the natural realm effectively means that I have to be able to use my body, including my brain, to effectively take the things of God and introduce them to my world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus. Why did Jesus become flesh? Because you need body to do an introduction to natural. You can't just wave a wand or hope something happens. You need a body to do an introduction to natural. The reason that the word became flesh is because Jesus took who he was and he came with a mission. His mission was to use his body to be able to effectively reveal certain things to us. When Jesus was conceived, Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. What it means is this. He had the nature of God on the inside of him from the very beginning. Jesus never needed to get born again. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. His spirit was of God. Okay? You have to nod or something. Just even if you don't know, just <laughs> then at least I know you're with me because when you just look at me, I'm like, hold on, I haven't gone anywhere yet. Okay, so his spirit was of God. But now understand this. He was built in a natural capacity like we are. And so he had a mind. When he grew up, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Jesus was sinless. Do you know what that means? Thank you, Rafa. What it means is this. When Jesus grew up, his mind was defined by the life of God on the inside of him. It was not defined by his brain, which is access to the world. If it had been defined by his brain, it means that he would have been in a place where he would have allowed access to his life for something which is sinful. He was without sin. His mind grew up and matured in the capacity and the abilities of the spirit that was on the inside of him. And holistically, what ended up happening is he was able to embrace his body as a part of that whole entity. He, Jesus lived and represented to us what it was to live as a living soul. That was he, what he was modeling for us. So why was body important? Because he came to do a couple of things. One of the main things that Jesus spoke about was kingdom. The advantage of having body is body allowed him to take things, the kingdom is within you, and introduce them to the world. Body allowed him to take kingdom and make it accessible to people so that when he went and prayed for someone who was sick and all of a sudden they got up and they were healed and they were whole, they were experiencing kingdom. Yeah. 
He used body to take something on the inside of him and introduce it into a realm, and, that, and that's why he needed body. That was a function of body. When he met with people, when he met with a woman at the well and he had interactions with her, what is he doing? He was taking things of who he was and using body to have influence in her, in her life. When he sat with the disciples and he spent time with them and he raised up the what is he doing? He was using body to impart things of a spiritual nature into them. When he taught, what was he doing? He was using body to be able to transfer meaningful revelation that would bring about change and transformation in people body became important because body was the vehicle to take things that were of the spirit and introduce them into the natural body became important for him because throughout his ministry he eventually reached the place where what did he say if you've seen me you've seen the father i came to reveal the father to you what he was saying was you you're not going to have an idea of who the father is by reading something in a book I want you to be able to see him. I want you to experience him. I want you to feel his touch in your life. I want you to feel his influence in your circumstances and situations. Body gave him access to do those things. We need body. We need body. Body is important for us because body becomes the gateway to take that which is spiritual and introduce it into our world. Romans chapter 6 and verse 13 says, Jesus says, And do not go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead, and your body's parts as instruments of righteousness for God. The word instrument there in the original Greek is a word that is used for tool. God is saying, I gave you a body because it's a tool. I gave you a body because it's something which is a tool to be used for your life. It's a tool that's supposed to have influence in situations. What are you using your tool for? There are some ideas in Christianity and we, we get into this whole thing about positional reality as opposed to experiential reality. And essentially what they're doing is this. They're dividing it into two separate realms. They're sitting saying positional reality is spiritual in nature. Experiential reality is something that obviously is out in the natural so you get to encounter it. Positional reality has everything to do with spirit and mind. Experiential reality has to do with brain and body, natural. So we make, we make those distinctions and we almost create a climate and a space in which we encourage people to recognize the fact that who they are in God needs to be something which is spiritual. We invite people to move into a place where you need to get born again. Absolutely, you got to get born again. Why is born again important? Because what happens is the very nature of God comes and dwells on the inside of me and I become a brand new creation in Christ. So it's really important. But you know what? You're not a front door. You're a home. You don't open the front door and say to somebody, hi. Okay, let's stand here and have a chat. You get born again because you meet him at the front door and you welcome him into your house. But when he comes into your house, he's not going to stand at the living room. Let's go to the family room. Do you want to go and get some coffee? Let's go over this way. He's going to roam around the house. The problem with it is too many churches teach us how to open the front door and then we stand there. God and me standing, looking at each other like, what do we do from here? I don't know. I got him in the front door and he comes in and it's important that we do that. But not only that, it begins to go a little bit further than that. And it makes us aware of the fact that as beings, fundamentally, our, our, our being is spirit in nature, but at the heart of of our being is our mind. 
the capacities to be able to be who I am and what I'm all about and define good from evil and look at things and make personal judgment calls and make decisions about how I want to live in life and make decisions about what I want to believe. All of those things live at the very heart of whom I am spiritually. When spiritually God comes and redefines me, the very first thing he says to me is, you know what? I want to renew your mind. He's still dealing internally. He hasn't got externally yet. Why? Because he's come into that place and his nature is in that place, but I don't have the mind of Christ. The thing about it is what he says is, I will give you a new heart. I will take, get rid of the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What he's saying is the very core and the essence of who you are. Fundamentally, who you are as a human being wasn't able to be sensitive to the things of God. But I'm going to get rid of that insensitivity because I want you to come to a place where you're soft and accessible, where you are open to relationship. And all of a sudden, I can recognize and identify and relate to the things of God. And I have the capacity to allow the things of God to come in and give redefinition to who I am. But I don't live in that space. It's important. But you've got to go beyond that space because I've got to get to the place where my body is able to take who I am and what I'm about. And I'm able to deliver that into my world so that it becomes something that I encounter on a regular basis. And that's where the problem lies. Too many Christians are born again, but their life is a mess. Too many Christians know about God and they love God and they work at understanding God. The problem with it is they're not effectively using their tool to make changes in life. Their tool has become a problem. Too many Christians know about God and they've invited him into the living room. The problem is I'm using the tool that he's given me and I'm not putting into my world things that are of him. I'm using, I'm abusing my tool. I have a mouth to speak. And so when I open my mouth, things that come out of my mouth, are they coming from him or are they coming from some other place? Am I using it as a tool for righteousness or am I abusing the tool? Contentious discussions. You're abusing the tool. You wonder why the relationship is fractured and difficult. Contentious. I'm abusing the tool. Criticism. My mouth. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to criticize? A couple of weeks ago, we were driving back from a football game and we had the kids in the car and we were talking about, you know, some people and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, blah, 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 blah. they don't know how to play. And, blah, 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 blah. and we stopped for a minute and we said, you know what? Have you ever noticed how easy it is to criticize? But you know what? If you say to somebody, okay, hold on a minute. Let's refocus and recalibrate a little bit. Let's see if we can have a look at what's good about people. You have to go rummaging. Why? Somehow we don't have that inclination. Somehow our disposition is so easy to pick up on all the faults of people, all the issues with people. And we're so quick to criticize and be judgmental about people. But you say, let's find something to, to compliment them on. And it's like, oh, everything's camouflaged. <laughs> It's not that they don't exist. It's because I don't have a disposition to see it. I'm abusing the tool. I'm putting stuff out and I wonder why my relationships aren't where they are. I'm putting stuff out there and I don't understand why my marriage is in, in, a, in a state of conflict. I put stuff out and I don't know why my kids don't want to have anything to do with me. Why? Because I'm abusing the tool. It's not just your mouth that's a tool. He's given you hands and he's given you feet and he's given you a body. What are you doing? Well, if I don't like you or what you did, you are going to know all about it. The attitude is coming. I'm abusing the tool. What is influencing the tool? Well, you know, it's just a tax man, a little bit of washing here or there. And you end up in jail. I'm abusing the tool. 
God is a creative being. God in his capacity is always looking for opportunity and invitation. He's always looking for people to sit and say, you know what? When you live from that space, move into a new arena. Have a look. What do you see? What do you, what do you encounter? Not because of what exists, but because what lives on the inside of you. You have the capacity to create. You have the capacity to be innovative. You have the capacity for transformation. You have the capacity if you live from those things. If you all you ever want to do is sit and talk about how bad your world is and how terrible it is and how nothing works out, you're abusing the tool. We abuse the tool. And we don't understand why our Christianity is not successful. It's not that I don't love God. It's not that I'm not born again. And I may even have my mind renewed. The problem with it is I'm not using the tool. Jackie, what is that reference? Okay, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I had the wrong one written down. <laughs> and it says, may, may the God of peace himself, may the God of, I'll, I'll give it in, oh, never mind. May the God of peace himself, I nearly said something. May the God of peace himself, who's doing this? Okay. Who's doing this? I just want to make sure you want to, okay. May the God him, may God himself sanctify you. Spirit, soul, and body. Oh, but Gavin, I thought you told me that we only just spirit and body. Go back to the original Greek and what it says is this. He's talking about spirit. He's talking about fundamentally the nature of who you are and what you're all about. Because you may have the life of God present in that space or you may not. What he's saying is, spirit, make sure that it's righteous. Has it made, been made new by Christ? When it talks about soul, it's talking about the capacity of the individual to define themselves. It's talking about your mind. So what essentially God is saying is, I want to sanctify you in terms of your spirit, in terms of your mind, and in terms of your body. What is sanctification? He wants every part of who you are to be conformed to the image of Christ. Some things happened instantaneously. Instantaneously. When he comes in and you become a new creation in Christ, all things are passed away, all things are made brand new. You become a brand new creation in Christ. In that moment, something happens. It's all you had to do was recognize it and accept it. When you did that, he did everything else. But from then on, it becomes a partnership. It becomes a partnership called sanctification. Sanctification is the journey of my destiny. For most Christians, God is more committed to their destiny than they are. I'm committed to sanctifying you, spirit, soul, and body. He's committed to your destiny, but he can only take you to your destiny as far as you're prepared to go. He comes in and he makes us brand new. But from there, the invitation is be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Do you know why he has to renew, uh, sanctify your mind and why it is not made new the moment you get born again? Because when you get born again, old things pass away and everything becomes brand new. You would lose all memory of everything that you had had. It would all be gone. And he's like, you got history. You got people. You got relationships. All of those things are a part of who you are. I can't lose your complete history. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take who you are, but I'm going to provide an opportunity for it to be made new. He's making our mind new. He's not only going to state your mind. But he actually wants to make your body new as well. It's the, sto it's the story of grace. 
Sometimes people have a very distorted idea as to what grace is. There are times where people believe that grace is all about everything that God's just going to do in your life. Stuff's just going to happen. That's not true. Grace is about a complete provision. But you have to recognize it and accept it. It is about a partnership. To become a new creation in Christ is part of what grace is all about. Not everybody's born again. There kind of came a place in our lives where we, we came to and we sat and said, you know what? I, I don't want to be the person I used to be anymore. I want God to be in my life. I want him to have a defining role in terms of who I am and what I'm all about. And what did I do? I recognized a gift, a provision of grace, and I acted on that and allowed it to come in and give redefinition to who I am. Amen. We act on grace. We don't need to do the work of grace. That's where we get confused. Sometimes we think because um, I have to be at a place where I recognize it and accept it, it's a works program. It's not about works. You're not doing it. Grace does it. All you have to do is recognize it and accept it. Our lives as born-again believers become a product of fruit, not works. Fruit. A product of fruit means... Now that I have the life of God living on the inside of me, the heart of who I am, that capacity called my mind, that thing which gives definition to who I am as an individual has the opportunity to go and develop relationship with God in that context, the Holy Spirit in that context, and I allow him to seed my life. What he does is he seeds my mind with who he is. And as that grows up on the inside of me, it bears much. It's the same thing when it comes to our body. It becomes so fundamental. Never lose the, the, the focus uh, and the importance of grace. So... There was a neuroscientist and neurosurgeon called Dr. Penfield, and he is Canadian, and he was in Montreal. And so he was doing studies on epileptics, because what he was doing is he would remove the cranium, and then he would um, put electric charges in different parts of the brain in order to understand the focus and, and where epilepsy was and see if it was able to, he was able to recognize, identify it, locate it, and remedy it. And he was busy working with a patient. And while he was busy working with the patient and he was putting um, electrical currents on the patient, the, the, the patient was responding to things. And it was quite interesting because in that capacity, what the patient said was, I recognized the fact that I was a separate individual to my brain. I was lying on the table, but I recognized I could give instructions to my brain to do certain things and my body would respond. And there were times I was just a bystander. But somebody else was manipulating my brain and my body would respond. It never came from me. Wow. It becomes important because it gives us a reaffirmation as to you are not your brain. Your brain is a part of who you are. It is a computer. It is the governing entity over your body. And what happens with your body, nobody has a hand that does stuff independently. You've never had your legs suddenly go wild on you. What happens? It, it comes from the brain. The brain runs everything. And there was a recognition of the fact that I am, in fact, spirit. This is, this is an, a, an interpretation, a spiritual interpretation, because scientifically they looked at that and all they could say was there seem to be different impulses coming in here, but we don't know where it comes from or where it exists. 
from a spiritual point of view, what we would say is we would say there was a spiritual side to who this individual was and the mind and the capacity of that individual to be able to give instruction to the brain is where those electrical impulses were initiated from and the brain responded to that. But part of what he did was, is when the patient was lying there, he started putting um, electrical current over different areas and he reached one area. And when he touched that area, what ended up happening is the patient stopped and he said, hold on. He said, just keep going with that. And what happened was the area of the brain that was being manipulated replayed for him in vivid account him years ago on a farm in South Africa, laughing and playing with his cousins. What do you call those goggle things that you're on and you kind of like, you know, your reality glasses. He said he, that would be the equivalent now. He said, I felt as though I was looking through reality glasses. I felt his brain was playing something for him that was a vivid recollection of a time a long time ago. But what was interesting about it was this, not only did it recount the event, but it also brought with it not only the thoughts that he had, but the significance of the thoughts that he had. It was like these were far more pronounced thoughts and more acute thoughts in that environment than other ones. It also brought with it the emotional components that went with the event. He could feel what it was like to be back in that place. And what was interesting about it was it made them recognize the fact that the brain itself is actually a very complicated and sophisticated recording tool. It has the ability to be able to take circumstances, situations, and all that we have, and use those things and introduce and remember it in its complexity and its diversity, holistically. It becomes important for us because we begin, I want to start to have a look a little bit at the brain. Understand this, because God put us in the earth, he put us in the earth to function in that capacity effectively and efficiently. Okay, so you were created that like that. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. Part of what we were created to do was to exist in this realm. So the brain has the capacity, incredible capacity for remembrance. The reason it becomes important is because it introduces us to something called the power of habit. The power of habit. Our lives are essentially run by habit. We live by habit. And that is a good thing. So much of what we do is run by habit. Habit, the habit capacity is a blessing in our life. Let me explain to you. When you woke up this morning, you woke up, you bounced out of bed, you went and got yourself together, you went and got your cup of coffee, you went and you got in the shower, you did all of that stuff. And you know what? Almost all of it was exclusively run by habit. Without you actively having to use your brain power to do those things. If we never had habit, what would happen is, you would wake up in the morning and you'd be, I'm awake, what do I do? Open eyes, open eyes. Feel like I need to blink, close and open again. I want to get up, roll sideways. I need to get out of bed. What moves first, arm, leg, which one? I'm trying to show you how you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God gave us a blessing called habit capacity. They say that in the first seven years of life, you, you learn over 95% of what you're going to learn your entire life. I didn't really understand that up until I, when I started exploring this stuff. What he's saying is this. You, your body picks up things and learns so quickly. Your body has been 
being given to you as an effective and a tool of blessing so that what you can do is you can effectively work and operate in the natural realm. It's learning all the time. You don't even consider some stuff because it's all running out of habit. It's running out of habit. I get up in the morning, I do my stuff, I go and do my teeth, I chat to my wife, I go and get a shower, I go and get dressed, I go and drink my coffee, I get in my car. I don't think about driving my car. I don't think about lift your hand, put your everything's I'm running on habit. I'm running on habit. Things are happening because of habit. Habit is an incredible blessing in our life because it means that we're able to run effectively and efficiently without engaging our brain with each little mini step of the way. You were created to be an effective natural being. And you have a tool to be able to do that. The challenge that we have is that habit and the power of habit can be both a blessing and a curse. You see, when God created us as beings, he created us completely. But God's intention was that we would always live from him and his life being on the inside of us, informing our identity, our ideas, our beliefs about life. And as a result of that, our mind would program our brain accordingly. And so we would run effectively and efficiently as people who were sons of God. The problem with sin is when sin came in, the God element was removed. And so what ends up happening is every one of us are born with a sin nature. We're born with a sin nature. And as long as we have that sin nature, it defines my mind and the way that I think about things. So what ends up happening is I'm going through life and my sin nature is interpreting events that are taking place in my life and what it's doing is it's programming my brain. So my brain has been programmed to respond to life in the wrong way. My, my brain has been programmed to respond to life from a sinful perspective. And I find myself in an interesting place because all of a sudden I find myself in a place of complexity. Because what I find is I get born again, God's nature comes in, and all of a sudden my, my mind, my heart has an appetite for the things of God and I want to do the things of God and I step out with the intention of doing the things of God but all of a sudden I come face to face with my body which has been programmed to, to operate out of habit and which is programmed out of sin and all of a sudden my body's saying that's not how you respond to the situation this is how you respond and I end up with a conflict in myself. I want to do certain things. I have an appetite to do certain things. But my body's doing some other stuff. So we wake up. And all of a sudden, something goes wrong. I get out of bed and I stub my toe. And what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Something you wouldn't say in church because God's in church. He's not in your bedroom, but he's in church. Where did it come from? I'm born again. I've got the life of God on the inside of me. I believe all those things. I want to experience the fullness of all that God has available to me. I want all of that stuff. And all of a sudden, what comes out of my mouth is all kinds of stuff. You wondered where that was going, didn't you? Where did it come from? Habit. Habit. Body and habit kicked in before I could intervene. And after the fact, I was like, why did you say that? It wasn't me. I'm speaking for other people. This is just an example. Where did it come from? My body has been habituated in different ways. And it hasn't been made new. It hasn't recognized the fact that it's got the life of God on the inside of it. And so it's living from what it believes is effective and efficient ways of dealing with the situation. You think you feel better once you say that, but you really don't. 
What happens when somebody says something that you don't like? What happens when you encounter somebody and they say something to you and you don't like it? What's the first thing that comes out? Well, you may say that about me, but I think that you're ugly. <laughs> Where did it come from? Before I could say it, it came out of my mouth. Well, you're just dumb. Where did it come from? We say stuff back and we engage in interactions. And before we know it, because our passions are heightened, what ends up happening is body kicks in and body is responding out of habit the way that it's been trained from a sinful nature. And it's doing things and it's saying things and it's acting with attitudes and it's, stuff is coming out of our mouth. And it's like, where did it come from? And after the fact, I sit there and I go, oh, man, that was bad, hey? <laughs> I misused the tool. I misused the tool. The challenge that we have so often is the fact that because our tool has been defined and been introduced to habit outside of God, it naturally wants to misuse itself. And we look at our life and we wonder why it's in disrepair. Because we're misusing the tool. There's so much said about the devil. And demons. You do recognize the fact that Satan is an entity. He is a being that exists. Okay, he's not God. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not everywhere at once. You, you, okay. The challenge that we have is so much of the church talks about and we put so much blame and so much responsibility on the devil. And I'm not saying the devil's good. We all know who the devil is. And I'm not saying that, that the devil doesn't have involvement with many things and that the powers of darkness, I get all of that stuff. But what I'm saying to you is this. Just please listen to what I'm saying and just digest it a little bit, okay? Most Christians are never going to encounter Satan. He's an entity. He is a being. He is not everywhere at once. Most Christians, most born-again believers are never going to encounter Satan. He has a far more subtle and nefarious plan. And because he's webbed, he, he's, he's spun a web of sinful nature around things, what ends up happening is it becomes a part of who we are. We are born with a sinful nature. We allow that sinful nature to create habits in my body that are incongruent with the ways of God. Amen. And what ends up happening is when I become born again, I suddenly discover the fact that my body has its own agenda. And my body wants to do some stuff that I don't want to do. And my body feels comfortable in some places I don't feel comfortable. And my body wants to say some stuff that I don't want to say. My body has its own agenda. And when I look at that, very often I begin to when, when I start to dissect it a little bit, I begin to recognize the fact that there is something that's alive on the inside of who I am. That's not of me. I have a mole in my life. I have something that's infiltrated my being that is having influence in my world. And suddenly I come face to face with the horrible and stark reality that the enemy is not without, but the enemy is within. I come face to face with a horrible realization that I am my own worst enemy. 
Have a look at Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read from verse 15 to verse 25. For, this is Paul speaking, for I do not understand what I am doing. I tried that one with Sarah. She, she didn't buy it. <laughs> for I am not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. What is he saying? Understand at this point, he's drawing a comparison and he's sitting saying, I'm recognizing there's the mole within. He's drawing a comparison and he's sitting saying, I understand the fact that as a living soul, I am a complete being. And so I cannot divorce my body from who I am. But I recognize the fact that my body seems to have a will and an agenda of its own. So he says, I don't want to do those things. Who's he speaking about? He's speaking about his mind, the mind renewed to Christ in the spirit of Christ. So the, who I am, my, the essence of my being, doesn't want to do some stuff. But I find myself doing it. What's doing it? My body. He's talking about the conflict within. He's talking about coming to the realization that he's his own worst enemy. However, if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law that the law is good. Let me just tell you about the law. This is the law. The law is a good thing. Basically, all the law is, is a... Uh, 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 a no, not guardrail. What's the thing? A fence. It's a fence. Okay. What it says is, this is right, that's wrong. That's what the law does. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem with it is, we think of, many people think of the law as a savior. It's not a savior. It was never designed to be the savior. We see it as a savior because, because the law defines this, let me try and do it. It was never designed as a savior. It was designed to demarcate for us. This is right and it's ro this is wrong. In case we got lost at any point. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, so he'll tell you that stuff. But in case there was any uh, lack of awareness or, lack, or need for clarification, he's like, that's what the law does. The law just defines what is right and what is wrong. Jesus is the savior. Okay, so never go into law because you'll get into works. You'll try and, I, I want to try and be good because this is what's good. What he's saying is law is, has its place. All it is, it's there for definition. Um, but now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. Where is sin dwelling? Where? The body, Rafa, you're paying attention, Rafa. <laughs> for I know that the good, uh, for I know that good does not dwell in me. That is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. What is he saying? Who I am, my mind, I know what I should be doing. The, the will and the desire to do that is there, but my body is against me. It's fighting me. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I do the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. Think about that for a minute. Think about what he's just said. What he's saying is, hold on a minute. Because I don't want to do something, but it's still taking place. What he's saying is, it's not being initiated by me. It's being initiated by my body. It doesn't excuse us. Try that in a court of law. <laughs> I didn't mean that. My body just did its own thing. But he's drawing us into a place because what he's saying is, I want you to recognize the fact that you're going to have a battle in front of you. And the biggest battle that you're going to have in life is the battle against yourself. I find, then that the I find then the principle that evil is present in me, but the one who, uh, in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person, but I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, the law which is in my body parts. He's clarifying different parts of who he is and what's happening in that space. 
Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind, who I am, what I'm all about, how I decide to do things, the mind that's informed from the spirit, am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. There is a battle that believers face that unbelievers don't face. Because you see, when until you have God on the inside of you, your body is practicing and operating coherently and effectively with all parts of who you are. You don't have the life of God on the inside of you. You don't have a mind that's renewed and your body is congruent with all of those things. So you're operating cohesively as a single unit. We're only introduced to the battle when we become a born again believer. Because what ends up happening is his life comes in, his life begins to redefine who I am, my mind, and I find my mind is at a place where all of a sudden I begin to recognize that sin is in my members, sin is in my body, and I'm sitting saying that's the challenge that I have. Sometimes when we get into places where things don't seem to work out the way that they are, very often we want to run around and we're casting out this and we're casting out that and we're finding demons under every rock and we're binding this and we're binding that and telling Satan what to do. And it has nothing to do with any of those things. It just has to do with the fact that we're misusing our tool. So next week, we're going to talk about God's plan, recognizing the dilemma that we find ourselves in. What is God's plan to be able to bring us to a place so that all parts of us are able to become congruent and operate effectively and cohesively as one? Um, won't you please stand? <clears throat> At the end of service, <clears throat> if you are out there and you've never invited God into your life, everything from a spiritual perspective in your life is going to start with relationship with God. And if you have never enjoyed an opportunity to be introduced to him, and allowed him to come in and make you a new creation. I would invite you at the end of service to come up. Because there are people here who will pray with you. And people who will spend some time with you. But if you don't have that. It's kind of the doorway to stepping into the things of God. It becomes really important for us. If you're out there and you find yourself in a battle with stuff and you find yourself challenged with a lot of stuff that not in your mind you know what you should be doing, but you find that your body is fighting you and it's a battle right at the moment with something which is consequential, come forward. The power of Sozo is not because it is a tool for counseling. The power of Sozo is because it brings the Holy Spirit into a situation that you're encountering right at the moment and the Holy Spirit is able to do some things in that space that we're not capable of doing. Father, I just thank you for every person who's represented here today. I thank you for people who are fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you for giving us the capacity to be able to use our bodies to glorify you, to be able to use our bodies as tools to effectively bring about change and transformation, to be able to effectively use our bodies as opportunities to take your love and your goodness and your grace and bring about change in others and in circumstances. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll just continue to work with everybody here. I pray that you'll be, be continue 
to show them what it is to be a new creation in Christ. I want to thank you for continuing to renew their minds so that they step into that. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll put a guard on us this week so that we begin to become intentional about using the tool of our body effectively. I pray that our words and our attitudes and our actions begin to line up with your will and your desire. I want to thank you for empowering us with the opportunity to change our environment. Not because of what we have, but because of who you are. Because of what the kingdom has provided for us. Because we have the opportunity to show people how the Father would behave in that space. We thank you and we bless you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen.